I've been in a series on the commands of Jesus because I believe if Jesus tells us to do something and doesn't just tell us but commands us to do it, then we need to take it seriously. Over and over again, he, he says, he who has my commandments and does them, not just has them, but he who does them, he it is who loves me. And if we love him, we'll be loved by him and he will disclose his father to us. The sermon is entitled, Know Whom to Fear. The command this morning is fear God and not man. And it comes in Matthew 10, verses 26 through 31. Fear God, not man. We're going to talk about what that means and how we can go about doing that and why we should do it. Jesus is speaking and he says this to those who are being persecuted for the faith. Have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, utter in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows." Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus is talking to those who are being persecuted. And in that context, he says for, to fear God and don't be afraid of man and what man can do to you. And then he goes on to tell us why. It's because of how much he loves us and what all he knows and what that means for us. Let's bow together. Father, as we unfold this sacred text, reveal it to our hearts in a deeper way and open us up to be willing to receive the awareness of what you know and how much you love us as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What are you afraid of? I mean, do you have fears? Of course you do. What are some of those fears? I looked up um, the list of the top 10 fears, and here they are. Arachnophobia. Fear of spiders. Ophidiophobia. Fear of snakes. Acrophobia. Fear of heights. Agoraphobia is fear of crowded spaces. People don't want to be out in public and, and be around too many people. Cynophobia is the fear of dogs. Astrophobia is the fear of lightning and thunder. Claustrophobia, fear of tight spaces being closed in. Misophobia is the fear of germs. We actually had a guy in seminary, lived across the hall from me in the dorm, who wiped his dorm room down every night with alcohol. Now, he went on to work in the kitchen at Ridgecrest. And I guess they got 100 on their food rating every month. Trypophobia uh, is the fear of holes, T-R-Y-P, not T-R-I-P. And here's one I had to work on. Hippopotamonstrosa sesquipedaliophobia is the fear of long words. Isn't that ironic? I practiced that. Hippopotamonstrosa sesquipedaliophobia. That ought to be on the script spelling bee one year. Telephonophobia, the fear of telephones. 
I don't know anybody who has a fear of telephones. I know somebody who doesn't have the fear of telephones. I asked her if I could say that, so I'm safe. And you still don't know who I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> Our command from Jesus is to fear God and not man. I didn't see theophobia anywhere on this list. Theophobia would be the fear of God. The word for fear in here in the Greek is phobos. Phobeo is the verb, to fear. It's the word we use in all our phobias. All these phobias I just gave you are from the Greek. But when I use the word fear for God, it's not the kind of fear that, that you're afraid of. You're not supposed to be afraid of God. There is another translation of phobeo that means to reverence or to awe or to revere or to respect. And that's the kind of fear of God that we are to have. Even though he's, he's like our heavenly father and even though he is our friend, we are still to awe him and be in reverence of him and to respect him. We are to reverence God. We are to respect what he thinks more than what man thinks. We owe him our love and our reverence. And that's the kind of fear that, that we are to have for God, to respect what he wants us to do and to be more concerned about the reverence that we have for him than, than we have for man. And this passage goes on to tell us why. It says, because the things of God are eternal and the things of man are only temporary. How long is 80, 90 years in comparison to eternity? It's just a split second. It is a drop in the bucket. When you are eternal as God is, time has no meaning. You know everything, past, present, and future are all ever before you. That's why we can sing 10,000 years are as a day. There is a second in the sight of God. And then Jesus goes on to tell us, because past, present, and future belong to God, God knows everything. For instance, if I tell you I'm going to do something as quick as a wink, how quick is that? If I tell you I wouldn't do that for all the tea in China, how, how much is that? If I say I haven't seen you in a coon's age, how long is that? If I say that something is moving at a snail's pace, how slow is that? God knows all those things. God knows quick as a wink is a third of a second. He knows there are about 370,000 tons of tea in China. He knows that a coon's age is what? It's about 13 years, those of you who like to coon hunt. And a snail moves at about 10 feet an hour. So if we were here two hours, a snail could hustle across this stage in about two hours. God knows all these things. He knows all these things and many more. That's because he knows everything. And the, and the word for that, the theological word is omniscience. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He has all knowledge. All the knowledge that there is to have, God already has. So I want to focus this morning on God's knowledge and what it means. It's infinite, it is intense, and it is individual. And having seen it, I want us to be encouraged by what that means for us, how good it is for us to understand and believe that God knows everything and what that means for us on a daily basis. And so in your worship outline, three things that it means for God's knowledge for us to have that we need to be aware of. First of all, it's infinite, it is intense, it is individual. First of all, it is infinite. God's knowledge 
How vast is it? How expansive is, how broad is God's knowledge? It is infinite. Everything that there is to know, he already knows. The Bible says that God knows every star that exists. Friends, our scientists haven't even discovered any, many of the, the constellations, the, the solar systems, the universes that there are out there, but God knows them because he created them. And it says this in Psalm 147, verse 4. He determines the number of the stars and he gives to all of them their names. Not only does God know all the stars, but he's named every one of them. His understanding, his knowledge is infinite. It is beyond our feeble comprehension to gather, even ponder. God knows everything. And as infinite as it is, as broad as it is, his knowledge is still very finite and specific. It is intense. It is so intense and so specific that it extends to the very minutest detail. It is so thorough, so penetrating that he knows the least little thing that happens and he is attentive to it. Look at this in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Trying to say how, how inexpensive sparrows are. And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will, without your father's knowledge. God knows how small a sparrow is. It says they're sold two for a penny. In Jesus' day, it says um, the Greek word is literally a, an aserion, which is a copper coin worth about one-sixteenth of a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. So two sparrows sold for about 30 minutes of work in their day. And yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's will. God knows about a sparrow. He knows when that sparrow grows and leaves the nest for the first time, and he knows as that sparrow ages when it's going to leave the nest for the last time. Now that is intense. God knows everything. He knows every star. He has named them all. He knows the flutter of every sparrow feather. And most of all, God knows you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than your spouse knows, than your parents know. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. It is infinite. It is intense. His knowledge is also individual. And that's what I want to focus on here this morning. God knows you inside and out. He knows every fiber, every tendon, every ligament, every sinew. He knows why you chose to wear what you're wearing this morning. He knows what you're going to wear next Sunday. He knows what you're going to wear 20 years from now if we're still here. Whatever the reason you do something, God already knows it. He knows what you had for breakfast this morning. He knows what you're going to eat for lunch in about 45 minutes, maybe an hour if I get carried away. He knows what you're going to eat 20 years from now, 30 years from now. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your personality better than you know your own personality. He knows how you're going to react in every situation. He knew a few months ago that I was preoccupied when I was leaving my car in the church parking lot one morning coming in a little before nine, and he knew that I forgot to put the car in park. 
And as I was walking into the building, he knew a church member would holler for me. And I turned around and I saw my car rolling across the church parking lot. And thankfully, he knew that the car wasn't rolling very fast yet. And he knew that I'd be able to run and unlock the car with my fob and jump in behind the, the seat and put the brake on and then slump down and look around to see if anybody saw me. And then crank it up and put it in reverse and back it up into place. And thankfully, that church member's never mentioned that to anybody. God knew all that would happen before it happened. I just wish he had shared it with me before it had happened. He knows how you'll act in every given situation. He knows how you'll act if you win the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. He knows how you would act if you were given a new responsibility at work. He knows every situation about you. There isn't anything that God doesn't know about you. That's what it says in verse 30. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Have you ever counted the hairs on your head? Some of you could, but... <laughs> but God knows the number of hairs on our head. And, and that number decreased this morning, and it'll decrease some more tomorrow morning. He knows the names of the stars in the heavens. He knows when a sparrow tumbles to the ground. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He is omniscient. He is attentive. He looks at you so attentively that he knows how you're going to act, what you're going to do, what you're going to think. He doesn't dictate it. He doesn't control it. He just knows it. Because that's his knowledge, infinite, intense, individual. Now, some people will argue with me here, and they will say, if God knows everything in advance, he knows everything that's going to happen before it happens, then he must be orchestrating it. He knows the future, and so he must be controlling the future. I say not at all. No. He gives us free will. He knows how we'll act in a given situation, but he doesn't tell us. He doesn't make us act. We're not puppets on a string. We aren't robots. Let me give you an example. Let's say Susan and I have been married to each other for 36 years. And in most situations, when confronted with, with a particular event, I can predict how she will act and what, well, how she will say. Sometimes, sometimes I can't. But a lot of times I can. That's because I know her. And I use this example a lot too. I, let's say when Catherine was little and for Christmas she could choose between a red bicycle or a green bicycle, I knew that Catherine would choose a green bicycle because green's her favorite color. I knew that about her. Did I make her choose the green bicycle? No. That was her free choice. But I knew her well enough to know what she would choose before she chose it. As well as Susan and I know each other. They say, they say couples that have been married a long time, one can start a sentence, the other can finish it. Sometimes that happens with us. As well as we know each other. As well as you know your children. God knows you even infinitely better than that. And that's why he knows what you'll do and what you'll say and how you'll act in a given situation. He doesn't coerce it. He doesn't dictate it. But he knows in free will how you will act because he knows you. Plus, since there is no time with God, he knows the past, the present, and the future. He already knows what's going to happen. Does he force us to do a certain thing? No. No. Because if he did, there'd be no choice. 
And it's God's desire that we choose to love him out of our own free will, not because we're forced to. What kind of love is forced? It's not love at all. Genuine love, sincere love is free love. And that's God's desire that we be free to choose to love him. And you're also free to choose to reject him, which breaks his heart. But he's not going to twist your arm and make you love him. He, he hopes that you will. He desires that you will. It's not his desire that any man should perish. But he has given us freedom. He knows us inside and out. He knows the future. But how we act, what we say, what we do in any given situation is our free choice. Anytime we sin, we could have chosen to do otherwise. Anytime we do good, we could have chosen to do otherwise. It's God's desire that we love him because we want to love him, because we choose to love him, because that's the only kind of love that's real. The scriptures, because God knows us, the scriptures give us some encouraging, some comforting words here because he is omniscient. His love is infinite. It is intense. It is individual. There is a promise to God from you. And it is this, God knows you so well, he will not put you in a situation that is more than you can handle. The Apostle Paul relays this promise to us in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 13. And a lot of people hang on to this verse in difficult times. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He, he knows what is coming into your life. And he knows what you're capable of. And he will not allow something to happen to you that you cannot escape, that you will not be able to endure because he is faithful. And he'll provide for you in that way. No temptation is, you might think, God, this is happening to me and it's never happened to anyone before. No, no temptation has ever happened to you, but such as is common, has happened to other people. Others have gone through it. Others have experienced it. And God has always been and always will be faithful. You can count on him. He can be trusted. This is his promise he will not allow you to be tested, to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. And with the temptation, with the situation, he will provide a way of escape, a way of coping, a way of dealing with it so that you will be able to endure and persevere through it. He will not bring anything into your life that you cannot handle. He will not place you in a situation that you cannot overcome. He will not give you a job with deadlines and pressures and tasks and responsibilities and a boss you have to work with. He will not put you in a situation that he knows you could not successfully manage it. He will not ask you to live in a certain way unless he knows that's the best thing for you in this particular time. He'll not give you a neighbor that you cannot get along with, that you cannot figure out a way to live with, to love. And you may be saying, well... If that's true, then maybe God has a better opinion of me than I have of myself. 
And that's probably true. God knows you better than you know yourself. And he will not ask you to face anything that he does not know you're able to be capable of. This lesson hit me with force that God would only allow me to face certain things he knew I could successfully and sinlessly move through should I choose to do so. It hit me when I was still in seminary. I was in a student pastorate in uh, Nelson County, Kentucky. It was about 45 miles southeast of Louisville. We'd drive out on Saturday, visit, uh, eat with a family, stay in a, a mobile home Saturday night that was next to our little white frame church. Beautiful little church. Services Sunday morning, Sunday night, choir practice after church Sunday night, Susan led, and then back to seminary late Sunday night, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. That first church, I'll have to be honest, I made a few mistakes. And when I made a mistake, the church would talk about the former pastor who was perfect. His name was Joey. The honeymoon was over for me. And I heard about Joey and what a good pastor he was, how wonderful he was, and the next church he'd moved to when he graduated from seminary and how great they were doing and how perfect the church was when he was pastor. And then I heard something that intimidated me. I heard that Joey was coming back to seminary to work on a doctorate and he was going to be moving nearby. And my first response was, "Uh uh-oh, I guess the handwriting is on the wall for me. But then I got excited because I realized that God thought me capable enough to handle that, to deal with that. And if Joey did move back to town, it would only be because God knew something about me that I didn't know about myself, that I had not yet discovered. And if God brought Joey back to town and Wayne did not get crushed or devastated then I knew that God had a high opinion of me and he knew that he would, I knew that he would see me through it. Well, apparently, God knew that I couldn't handle that because as it turned out, Joey did not move back to town. So it turned out well for both of us. But the point is, God is faithful. He will not put you in a situation that's greater than you can handle because he knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He will not give you a schedule that is more than you can manage. He'll not do it. He's not that kind of God. He will not give you too much to do and too little time to do it in. The work, the errands, the chores, the family responsibilities, they can all fit together with joy and with purpose and with strength because God only permits what he knows is possible for us to handle. So as you look at your life, if there is tension, if there is frustration, if there is difficulty, do you wonder what the future might be holding? Well, God knows what the future holds because he knows the future and he has promised you that he'll be faithful and that you can triumph through it. He is omniscient. He is without error. And even when hardships come your way, especially when hardships come your way, he knows you can handle it. And so why do we need to whine and complain and bemoan? Why me? Why is this happening to me? When trials and temptations and difficulties come, thank God for them because he deemed you strong enough to be able to withstand them. Always watch for the victory that God has in store for you. 
And that's why we should fear God. We should reverence God. We should be in awe of God. We should revere God and respect Him rather than man. Because our God is good. He is good all the time. And He knows you better than you know yourself. He's named the stars. He knows the feathers on a sparrow. He knows the hairs on your head. He's going to take care of you. He loves you. Fear him. Because heaven is eternal. And this earth is not. Let's bow together. God, we do love you and worship you and honor you. Thank you for the time, these few years we have together here on earth. It's just one iota in comparison to what we look forward to in eternity. And so help us, God, in this world to live for you, to prepare for eternity, to do what we can here, to tell others about you so they can prepare for eternity too and help us live our lives in hope, in trust, knowing that you are, always have been and always will be faithful. We don't need to worry what man can do to us. When we stand up for you, they can mock us, they can ridicule us, They can even do us harm. But it'll only last for a season. And you last forever. So you knew from the foundation of time who would be here this morning and what kind of mood we'd be in and and whether we're alert enough to listen and whether we care enough to respond. And so help us, Lord to do what you want us to do with the freedom you've given us to do it, to choose to honor you and love you with all of our hearts and all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.